Hey, DirtCast listeners, this week we are taking a little break, so we've got a recast for you, and we will be back on May 16th with an all-new episode of DirtCast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to an all-new episode of DirtCast. I am your co-host, Madeline Davies. And I am your other co-host, Megan Reynolds. And we have a very interesting show for you today. Mm-hmm. It's one of the more historic look backs at old Hollywood. Old Hollywood. Um, our dear friend, Jezebel staff writer Kelly Faircloth, will be here to discuss the history of the casting couch and the way that female actresses have long been associated with sex work. It's this weird concept that does a lot of heavy lifting culturally because it simultaneously acknowledges the potential for sexual abuse. It reframes sexual abuse as a question of like what the woman did. And it also has the sort of power to question the achievements of women to be like, oh, you know, is she a casting couch case? Maddie? Yes. How are you? I'm good. It's a fall day kind of for the first time today. Both of us have our leather jackets. <laughs> and our matching black tote bags. A couple, a couple T-birds. <laughs> We're in like a 50s gang. That's us. There's a chill in the air. Mm-hmm. I think both of us are for it. I'm super excited. We're both wearing sweaters. It's I feel cozy. I'm very cozy. I'm wearing socks and I'm not mad about it, which is weird because usually I hate socks. Yeah, you uh, historically hate socks. (laughs) Though if there's one thing to know about me, it's that I fucking hate socks. Um, I did bend my sunglasses on the way here, as I showed you. Tragedy. Um, But we've decided that we are not, I am not going to try to fix it. Correct. Which I think is like a mature decision. I think so too, because I feel like the instinct would be like, I can do this. And just, and then the thing would bend it back. You'd end up with two hands full of sunglasses, which is not what you want. So I feel like I've grown up and being like, you know what? I'm going to take this to a professional. (laughs) They're going to bend that arm back for me. Yep. I don't know what that costs. Nothing. I hope. It's free because you're not like asking them to like fix the lens or like, I want a new frame. You're just like, they stick it in a thing and then you leave. The other day I had to go fill up my bike tires. (laughs) Um, And like it that makes it sound like, like I'm a city biker, but really I had to fill them up because they were completely flat from like never riding because I'm right. so afraid. People here are crazy. People here are insane. I would never ride a bicycle on these streets. Yeah. So it's very nerve wracking, but I don't want to like get rid of my bike. Same here. Um, So they just had completely flat tires mm-hmm. and I had to move it. And oh. so I went into a bike shop and I was like, hey, do you guys just have an air pump I could use? Mm-hmm. And the guy like very reluctantly gave it to what? me. What? When I was done, I was like, well, thank you so much. Do you guys, like, want some money for that? Uh And he looked at me like I was an idiot. What? I was like, well, yeah. What a strange exchange. And at first I was like, is this, like, my, the rare example of, like, girl privilege where I expected to just go in and be like, like, can I have it? Oh, interesting. And then they were like, no, you, like, used our services. No, like, $5 or whatever, Um, right? I think I just said, I was like, it's a $5 donation, okay. (laughs) Oh, my God. I don't think I've ever paid for. I mean, I have a bicycle also. I have not ridden it in five to six years. It lives behind the couch um, just in case. Yeah. If there's, I mean, it is the best way to escape like an apocalyptic situation. Yep. A bike of an old ass Schwinn that weighs like 40 pounds with flat tires. Yep. That's exactly what I'll use. When they come for us, I'll be on that bike. A zombie won't bite you because they'll be like, really? Like, oh God, she's really riding that? Yeah. That's cute. But- <laughs> But every time I've filled up its stupid tires, which has been, I think, once, it's been free. Yeah, I guess you can use, like, a, a pump at a gas station. Yeah. 
But this, like, they'll sometimes have one like outside. Yeah. I'm from, again, as I talk about a lot, I'm from Madison, Wisconsin, where it's just like, everyone's like, you're riding your bike? Cool. Like, (laughs) you want us to fix your tire for, you know, it's like, it's all, everyone like is so stoked that you're riding a bike that. Not here. No. You get no, you get no like stoked points for riding a bicycle here. And people are just like, oh. But enough about the broken things in my life. Yes. How are you? I am doing great. I recently redecorated my bedroom. I saw it. It looks really good. Thank you. Um, my best friend and his boyfriend came over. They're my personal contractors. We were calling them the property lovers. <laughs> they did not. <laughs> they didn't like that. Um, no. No, it's weird. But no, they weren't into that. No, um, I get it. <laughs> I, it seems fine. I kept screaming like property lovers. And they're like, okay, Megan, like we're drilling into your bedroom wall right now. But they're really nice shelves. I got a new plant. I guess I'm never leaving my apartment. I'll probably die there, which is fine. There's a funeral home. Yeah. Yeah. There's a literal funeral home downstairs. Yep. I live above a funeral home. So if there's, if I do happen to expire in my apartment, we can just, whoever's left can just sort of slide me down. I was going to say, just kind of tumble you down the stairs. Yeah. It'll be really easy. So um, that was good. I did that. It was too hot on the day that I did it because this weekend was very warm. It was, it was muggy. Muggy. Like disgusting. I get why the weather is being this way, but I also hate it. Hate it. But today is beautiful. I'm wearing a sweater. Maddie's wearing a sweater. We're twins. Life is just fine. It's nice. It was so cold last night that I had to close my window. Ooh. I woke up and was like, "I'm freezing." They definitely closed my window. Oh, they did. Well, I guess legally they have to. Oh fuck! That's what I. That's what I'm afraid of. I hate that because I mean it just spews out like dead skin and like bug parts and like dust yeah and then everyone sneezes for like three months and then it's 85 degrees inside your home while it's snowing outside ideally yes do you have radiator heat yeah i fucking hate it i can't turn it i've tried i can't like turn it off and it still gets hot even if you turn it off i've tried everything yeah um short of like ripping them out Which is perhaps what I'll do this winter. Yeah, lose your deposit, but stay cool. Who knew? I mean, and again, you're dying there. And I'm dying. Yeah, exactly. And once, yeah. when I rip it out, there'll be a hole to the funeral home. So there it'll you go. just we'll just make a little ladder, and then we'll have a little trap door for it. Mm. And so when I or one of my roommates or, God forbid, one of the cats perishes, since the cats are obviously getting like a funeral, like yes. a regular funeral, of course. obviously, they'll just go down the thing and then embalms, then the little cat casket, really cute. Very Sweeney Todd. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Just have a little shoot on your floor. I love it. I I mean, you know, we'll see. Also, speaking of Sweeney Todd, yesterday I was so (laughs) successfully trolled by our coworkers who are just like talking shit about Stephen Sondheim just to make me mad. This was incredible to witness. And I knew. I knew that they Mm -hmm. were doing this. I knew they were doing it to upset me. And And even now I'm getting so mad. (laughs) I was sitting next to Maddie as I do every day at the office and I could feel there was like a vibrating sort of like energy coming off of your body. And I was like, oh, no, it's working. It's I know. Working. They were just needling. And it's it's like what I do to them all the time. So I can't even really be mad right. at them about it. But I am so mad at them. They were just going through the names of his musicals like off the Wikipedia page and being like, the frogs? Yeah. What's this? That like, sounds stupid. <laughs> it's amazing. What does it even mean to write the lyrics to something? <laughs> I was like... <laughs> <laughs> 
It was so good. What did Julianne say that maybe got me? Oh, she she murdered me. She said something along the lines of, uh, I don't like Stephen Sondheim because I only like uh, dystopian 70s musicals about bad relationships and West Side Story. Oh, my God. And then you screamed, like, Folly. I was like, Folly's in company. I was like, I didn't read the lyrics of West Side Story. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was a very tense um, 15, I want to say that exchange went on. Too long. Too, it felt, I think it was m- at <gasps> most 15 minutes, but it did feel like most of the afternoon. <laughs> oh my God, I'm the worst. It was wonderful. It was really nice. Yeah. Um, so if you want to know how to like actually drive me crazy. Send her emails about Stephen, like bad emails about Stephen Sondheim. <laughs> That's like the one way, like that will crack, like that cracks the exterior Gets right to, like, the mushy center of the thing. Yeah, right. If you want to see me, like, just destroyed. <laughs> that's It's so easy, it turns out. <laughs> that's, our, that's your kryptonite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Megan. Maddie. Would you like to get into the dirtiest dirt? Oh, my God. I would love to. The dirt this week is kind of like all of the dirt is tainted yeah. by Harvey Weinstein. Sweat all over it. He sweat exactly. There's like eczema flakes in it. It's all him. That was disgusting. That was actually really gross. I'm super sorry about that. I mean, but we can start with the nicer things. They're two nice things. Well, one's not nice and one's okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Well <laughs> one is like kind of like, huh? So the thing that is not nice but happened is that Robert Pattinson and FKA Twigs, who were previously engaged, broke up, apparently. And they were together for a minute. Like a couple of years, at least. Two to three, I want to say. At least three. Right? Like, did he date her after Kristen Stewart? Or was there like... An yeah, there was, some, was there like in the middle. stuff between? Yeah. They, to me, always felt like a very unlikely couple. See, to me, they always made sense. Oh, walk me through this. So, I... Not so secretly love Robert Pattinson. Okay. Not his acting or anything. I just think that he has a charm. He does. Um, and I think what like got me is like there's a supercut of him like making fun of Twilight in interviews. Oh, that's amazing. And he just is like very dry and witty and like very self-aware mm-hmm. of it all. When I read it, it seemed like it wasn't it was like it was a book that wasn't supposed to be published. It was so long. Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah, and and we were shooting it for Ever. If Edward was not a fictional character and you just met him in, in reality, you know, he's one of those guys who'd be like an axe murderer. There's a lot of books in the Cullen household, but know what to expect when you're expecting a half vampire child. No, they look on Google Images. <laughs> that was one of the, the funniest scenes I've ever had to do in my life. It's like, really? We're all like 100, 300-year-old geniuses, and we just go, it's like, vampire baby, like, <laughs> on Google Images. And, uh, yeah, that that was our research into it. It's like, I can't find anything! This was probably 10 years ago that I yeah. saw it, and I was like, oh, he's actually, like, very cute and very charming. Okay. And funny. Right. Um, And then I think he's made really interesting choices since Post then. Post-Twilight. So I do think he's like a decent actor too. Mm-hmm. And then it always struck me that he, I think, like is into like kind of cool underground arty stuff. Right, like London cool fun things. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it like made sense that he would like be into someone who's like the embodiment of that. Yeah. And who also seems lovely. She does seem lovely. I really only thought about Robert Pattinson as the vamp the sparkly vampire. And then I like kind of forgot that he existed, which I think was maybe probably what he might have wanted because I feel like all the Press that I've read. What, what was the movie that he was just in? 
uh, good time, good time, good time, a singular time, right? Yeah, because all of the press that came out, like that GQ cover and all that stuff around, he was saying how like his life, like like he couldn't do anything because of like paparazzi and Twilight and bullshit. The one story where he was just like, all I wanted was a hot dog, but I couldn't go outside to the cart to get it. I can't leave. I can't leave. Who's that man? That's a hot dog. New York hot dog. The kind that makes you fall in love. <gasps> so, I mean, I, I think that me, me personally forgetting about him was like in tribute to what he wanted. Yeah. But well, I also just like didn't think about him for a while. And then while. he was like making like weird Fincher movies and that type. Yeah. Like he was doing like kind of more. He was like growing, like experimenting. Yeah. Like growing up in front of us. Yeah. Look at him. Look at him go. But they were engaged. He was one time Cedric Diggory and now. Oh my God, that's right. <laughs> R.I.P. Cedric Diggory. My boy! This is not where you want to be right now. She just spoiled the end of book four. <laughs> These are the hard truths that you come to Dirtcast for. It's true. For Harry Potter spoilers from like 10 years ago. Yeah, right. Things that could not be counted Things as spoilers in any way. No, but um, for anyone who has not read Harry Potter, I'm really sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's okay. I mean, you have time. Yeah. Um, They're still really good. They are. They hold up. <laughs> <laughs> but they broke up. They were engaged. And now they are no, no longer together. Well, and may they both find happiness. May they both find happiness. I'm sure this is for the best. Who was it who, like, broke the news of their engagement? It was someone really unexpected. Uh, T-Pain. It was T-Pain. It was T-Pain. Um, okay, yeah. So what? T-Pain <laughs> is the one who, like, broke the news about their engagement. Because he was in – he had an interview with Vulture. Okay. And he, like, said something about – he's like, oh, yeah, like, they're engaged. Like, he basically was like, yeah, FK Twigs and, and Patty. He kept calling Robert Pattinson Patty. Just what I call Robert Pattinson. I love it. They asked something about FK Twigs. Um, he responded that she was engaged, and then they asked him to clarify. And his <laughs> response was, yeah, to old Patty. <laughs> but then um, the interview came out on April Fool's Day, and oh. he was, like, clearly not supposed to say that. Yeah. So then he tried to backtrack and say it was an April Fool's joke, which is very an obscure and weird Like a April very Fool's random, joke. like, not a joke that, like, would not – like why yeah who's the audience for that like what are you doing that's not how you do an april fool's joke and then i think they were just like the jig is up they went to the met ball she wore an engagement ring that's right i remember this now well they're no more maybe it was t-pain's fault (laughs) maybe the the cause of all the you know the undercurrent of strife that might have ran through their relationship was a result of t-pain they just like have been like living two under the microscope since we said that good news that does not involve a breakup but involves an engagement one of the Jonas brothers Joe the one with the mustache Jonas Jonas (laughs) 
Jonas is engaged to um, Sophie Turner, aka Santa Stark. Santa Stark, very young. Very, both, yep, both parties. Well, jo- how old is jo- Joe Jonas? I think jo- Jonas is, is like my age. I think maybe right. a little bit younger. And then, but Sansa, so I'd say he's like, I'm I'm thirty. I would say he's like twenty eight. Okay, um, I would take that. But I think Sophie Turner is like twenty. Yeah, twenty twenty one maybe. Right, like yeah. And you know what? You grow up fast in Hollywood. Engaged ain't married. Engaged ain't married. I mean, listen, as evidenced by our first item. Yeah. You never know. Also, go have fun, you guys. Enjoy your lives. You know, Live have, a, lives. have a ring, flash it around. She did. They put it on Instagram. You know, and she on television has had so many bad engagements that I she hope has. that this one is uh, blessed. I think this I, is and the exact opposite. <laughs> I think this is great. I hope Nick Jonas sings Jealous with a gospel choir at their wedding. <laughs> Just because I really like that song and I know it's not appropriate for a wedding, but I think that would be nice. The Joe Bros used to hang out a lot around the old office. So you would always really? like be at the bodega behind oh Joe Jonas or that type How of How many thing. are there? There's Joe, yeah. Nick, blank. Kevin? Kevin. Wow. Kevin Hold is that. now a real estate magnet in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is wait, so is Joe the one that's in that band? D-N-C-E. Yeah. Cool. Well, good. That I don't like them, but good for him. I think my mom likes them. Oh, which so sure they're enjoyed by someone. Okay. <laughs> um, She's gonna text me be like, I do not like them. I only said I like one song. <laughs> um, so that is great for them. It's nice to see that love can still thrive in this flaming hellscape that is uh, 2017. Love can thrive, as can hate. Love and hate. So what we're gonna move on to? Mm-hmm. You should never inspire the wrath of Carrie Fisher. Nope. Who is no longer with us, sadly, mm-hmm. but whose presence continues to delight in her own way. Mm-hmm. An exec at Sony had a history of sexually harassing women. Mm-hmm. Carrie Fisher warned her friend Heather Ross about it and then also <laughs> mailed a beef tongue to the producer mm-hmm. warning him to not bother Heather Ross. Yeah. She personally delivered. This is what she said to her friend who was recounting this. And I was, I asked her, I was like, okay, well, what was inside? She's like, it was a cow tongue from the Jerry's famous deli in, in Westwood with a note that said, if you ever touch my darling Heather or any other woman again, the next delivery will be something of yours in a much smaller box. And I about died. God, off. what an angel. Oh, fuck. There's a heaven. She's in it. <laughs> she really is because I just the execution, yeah, everything about the it, wit, the you know. wit, very short to the point, like exactly what you needed, like, and I'm sure that producer was. I mean, God knows he's probably. I mean, he's probably still out fondling today. He's probably exactly. He's still out of fondling, but but at least like we have this one moment. Yeah, it's nice that like as women, like things are always like not going to be in our favor, but then mm-hmm. it's like there's like little things. Yeah, there are little like nibbles that are like thrown up to you. They're like, ah, oh, yes, okay. Thank you. Thanks. It's like the universe attempting to like fix shit and then something larger happens and you're like, oh, never mind. You like fall off the yeah. cliff again. But you got to you gotta enjoy those moments. You, you got to savor them. Yes, because you, you store them like precious jewels. Yeah. Because. <laughs> Hoard them away. <laughs> Just look at them every night. Your gnarled little goblin fists. <laughs> 
Um, speaking of gnarled goblins, uh, (laughs) my favorite goblin, Woody Allen, uh, has... you love him. I am obsessed. No, I'm just kidding. It's fine. Uh, (laughs) We should clarify that Megan is kidding. (laughs) I am joking. He's weighed in on the, uh, the Harvey Weinstein situation because we were all definitely waiting for fucking Woody Allen to say something about this situation. Like, if there's one... Who should... Yeah, who should weigh in? Out of all the people. I know. Woody Allen. This other perv. So he initially said that he felt sad for everyone involved, including Weinstein, the women, etc. And then he also said, you don't want it to lead to a witch hunt atmosphere, a Salem atmosphere, where every guy in an office who winks at a woman is suddenly having to call a lawyer to defend himself. Ugh. Also, here's the thing with the phrase witch hunt. Mm. It's not a witch hunt when the person's guilty. Mm-hmm. That's like a manhunt. That's a, man, it's <laughs> you a manhunt. You're hunting for, exactly. It's also just like a witch hunt like implies that there, there are people who are not fucking up. But right. It's like, heaven forbid all of the men who are sexually harassing their employees, heaven forbid that they end up with the spotlight shown on them. Yep. Like, that's not the same thing. It's, it's not. And, I mean, again— no one was asking for Woody Allen's opinion on this. No one needed Woody Allen's opinion on this. No one needs Woody Allen's opinion on anything. I feel like he should just sort of fade. He's like 80-whatever years old. He should just fade quietly into the distance, continue making, like, his one, like, dumb movie a year and, like, shitting out another fucking Amazon series. And then that's it. And just, like, do that. People will still pay you money. He has money, like... How about we don't give him money, though? We could. We could cut that off. What if, like, if he does keep making movies, Mm. he can only make the good ones that happen every four years? Mm, Um, Interesting. And even then, it's like, no, all of your money has to go to, like, rain. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, So on Twitter, there was that guy who's the the co-star of The Tick, Griffin Mm -hmm. Newman, went on a very long thread about how he— is going to have a very small part in this upcoming Woody Allen movie. It's already filmed. Yeah. The one with Kate Winslet. Yeah. Wonder Wheel. He always felt very uncomfortable with the idea of doing it, but it mm-hmm. also felt like he, there were reasons why he talked himself out of feeling reluctant for it. Oh, boy. Which, honestly, I can empathize with. The, like, push-pull of, like, should I? Should, yeah. Well, and it's like, because we've all, like, worked with bad people. Of course. Because it's, like, something that, because you just like maybe there's something we want out of it, you of know. Like a lo- I doubt there's anybody who out there who can say that they've like never put aside their morals for something self-serving. But I feel like I put aside my morals once a day, honestly. But in light of the Weinstein thing, he came out and he was like, basically, I'm working with an accused rapist. Mm-hmm. I believe his accuser. Mm-hmm. I did this for X, Y, Z reasons, which I know are shallow. Mm. Um, and then he said that he's donating his entire salary to oh. Rain. Good for him. Um, which I also, yeah, it's, I mean, I think a lot of people like went after him and were kind of were like, well, why did you work with him in the first place? Oh. And he very much explained that. I we thought, like showed his work, it sounds like, like well, what went through. And how do we expect people to apologize? If, yeah, like, that's a larger question, I think. That, and that sort of seems like the problem where it's like the expectation is that you never fuck up, which is just impossible. Of because course, we are, we're like, human beings. Yeah, we're like a bunch of like dumb, angry, violent chimps. Yeah. And so this guy, like, made a mistake. He regretted it at the time. He regrets it now. Mm-hmm. He's doing, like, probably the nicest, like, the most 
aggressive no. way that you can like, right. um, you know, try to make up for it. Yeah. And I don't know. I just think it seems really stupid to like then to, like, go after him. on him for like, why, yeah, saying like, why did you take this in the first place? Like, that's fine. It's, I mean, I guess maybe pe- are people like annoyed that he like tweeted through it instead of like issuing just like a statement. Yeah. I mean, maybe, but he's not really like big enough to have right. a statement. Like so. I only knew his name because of this thing. And I've heard about the tick for like the past three months. Right. I don't fucking understand what it is, nor do I want to. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I don't good know. there. <laughs> I just think it's like he like came clean. Yeah. But he fucked up. He's trying to make up for it. And it's really screwy to then just be like. Yeah. I mean, I guess you can apologize and no one is forced to forgive you. Correct. But it does seem very weird that this was a thing that no one knew about. And then right. it's like he like went about it in the responsible way. People are so dumb. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and people are like pissed off. And yeah. so it's it's easy to like, especially on Twitter, throw mm. your anger around. Right. At, you know. But just, like, be mad at Woody Allen. Yeah. Don't, don't be mad at this guy. Who like, is, like, owning up to, like, the decision that he made, explaining why he made the decision that he made, and then donating his salary from this stupid movie about the fucking Coney Island and Kate Winslet to Rain. I'm sure that, like, none of these people who are going after him, I'm sure they've never went and seen a Woody Allen movie, never no, def- paid for one. Never, definitely never seen Annie Hall. Yeah, never, like, you know, witnessed anything made by an alleged sexual predator or harasser. It's just like, everyone's so full of shit. Everyone is extremely full of shit. And I think the sooner that we all admit freely that we are full of shit, yeah, we'll be a better place. I think that's what Griffin Newman kind of did. God bless him. He started it. Yeah. Woody Allen, just, I'd like to see, I just want to clarify, I guess, that his his dumb comments about dumb Harvey Weinstein, he clarified them to be like, I wasn't actually defending him. Said when I when I said I felt sad for Harvey Weinstein, I thought it was clear the meaning was because he is a sad, sick man. I was surprised it was treated differently. Lest there be any ambiguity, this statement clarifies my intention and feelings. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Like, go back to your fucking gross, like, brown couch. <laughs> Feel like he just sits on a brown couch and it smells like stale coffee and like sadness, and he just sits there and like types at a typewriter, and then he takes a nap, then he wakes up. Eats like one of those gross like Rye Vita crackers, those really dry ones. Yeah. Very Where's Sun Yi in all this? Huh? Where's Sun Yi in all of this? She's making the crackers. Oh, making them. <laughs> She's in the kitchen. She's putting cottage cheese on the crackers. Um, I think also the thing that actually bugs me about his statement isn't the whole like feeling sorry for Harvey Weinstein yeah. thing. It's the witch hunt thing. Yeah, that's like, unnecessary. That's what I come back to where it's like that's where you're defending somebody. Yeah. You're not – it's not like saying like you feel bad for this person because right. – I mean, in a weird way, I get that. And that sure, it's like, yeah, yeah, he like this guy is as much a victim of uh, the patriarchy as the rest of us, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but also victimized way more people, you know? Right. So it's like that part of the statement doesn't even get my hackles up as nearly as much as like being like, worry about the men. What about the other men of Hollywood who have gotten away with everything for years? Right. People could stand to not talk. Yeah, that's a great idea. Like, as we say, it's what you. <laughs> Talk endlessly. <laughs> I just think that some people who are currently speaking out at this very troubling time could stand to think, everyone could stand to think about what they're going to say before they say it. Yeah. And, and how that will maybe reflect back on them. Yes. And just think for like, run it. There has got to be someone who in these people's camps that are like, hey, are you going to say this thing? 
I don't know. Maybe just like say something else or don't. Yeah. Let's I mean, let's let's go over here and you not talk. I guess it's nice like to see certain people show their asses where it's like mm. the ones like one of the few silver linings of this whole thing is yeah. seeing like Ben Affleck just make a <laughs> fool of himself and Matt Damon make a fool of himself. Yeah. Just these two gross Boston bros. Loaded. Ugh, they're gross. Disgusting. Although I did like Goodwill Hunting. And I stand by that. Yeah, but it turns out that they like another oh, that's right. secret is that like they ba- like basically <laughs> A, a rumor is that the yeah, script was completely rewritten from the one that they, that they submitted or whatever because yeah. it was like terrible. Mm. Um, yeah. So moral of the story again: everybody stop talking. Talk only if you have something good to say, and or if you have something interesting to say. Good or interesting, I would prefer. I guess I would take interesting over good. Yeah. And check yourself before you Just touch check a yourself. lady who doesn't want to be touched. Don't touch women who don't want to be touched. Or men. Or men. Literally anyone. If Don't touch anyone that doesn't want to be touched. It's really Stop simple. Stop fucking winking at people, Woody Allen. So our guest today uh, has been by before. We invited her back because she's just a wealth of knowledge. And a treat. Uh, We haven't reached the end of her knowledge yet, so we will keep just using her. It is endless. In time, we will will reach the end. I doubt it. (laughs) We have with us a staff writer. She is also the curator of our subsite Pictorial, which kind of is just ephemera from past decades. It's really cool. It's one of the only things I read on the internet, not just Jezebel. <laughs> uh, we have with us Kelly Faircloth. Hi, Kelly. Thanks for having me back. Of course. Of course. And we have Kelly here to talk about um, the history of the casting couch. Something that's been just because of the Weinstein fallout. It's been in the news a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of this idea of actresses um, who have... The rumors say have maybe slept their way into roles, that type of thing. Kelly has actually been working on a longer piece about this, just about the history of the casting couch, which is really interesting. And it's a concept that I think is worth digging deeper on because it is a very sexist one and it's like abusive at worst, career damaging at best. And I know one reason I've been thinking about this a lot is George Clooney when he was asked about Harvey Weinstein, released what was maybe the only decent I didn't know what yeah. was going on statement, even though I'm not sure if I believe it entirely. Right. But he told the Daily Beast, I've heard rumors and the rumors in general started back in the 90s and they were that certain actresses had slept with Harvey to get a role. It seemed like a way to smear the actresses and demean them by saying that they didn't get their jobs based on their talent. So I took those rumors with a grain of salt. So I kind of want to throw it to you, uh, Ms. Faircloth, to discuss sort of how actresses have historically been associated with the casting couch. Yeah, it's interesting because there's actually a much longer history at work here than just even the history of the film industry. 
it goes back several hundred years just sort of in Western history and specifically like in, you know, in London and Paris. I mean, traditionally, like women who were in the theater were very like stigmatized and very sort of assumed to be sexually available. And the stereotype was that basically a theater was like a brothel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of interesting sort of ins and outs to that. I spoke to um, Kristen Pollan, who's a professor at the University of Illinois, the author of this book called Actresses and Whores, about sort of the history of this, like, complex association between women in the theater and, and, you know, presumed sexual availability and sex work. And a lot of times, you know, traditionally, like, when we're going back to when women first started appearing in the theater, like, the theater is dominated by people from the working class. Women from the working classes are not afforded the same protections and, and you know, they don't have those protections of, like, presumed, like, chivalry or, or, you know, or men don't feel obligated to offer them the same treatment. But then there's also this other sort of flip side to it where, like, you're a successful, adventurous woman who has what it takes to make it on stage. Maybe you are generally more adventurous and maybe you do, you know, the Marquess of whatever comes to you and says, I think you're a beautiful, charming woman. I'm a fascinating man. Maybe let's, you know, would you like me to shower you in jewels? And it's like, you know, what else are you going to do in, you know, 1750? We've all seen Moulin Rouge. <laughs> yes, we all have seen Moulin Rouge. On the hand of oh, me, Basically, if you see Moulin Rouge, then you Facebook know it. You get it. Yeah, yeah, you know exactly as much <laughs> as Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you have like, you know, like you especially see this in the Restoration when after Cromwell, like they put Charles II on the throne after chopping off his dad's head. They have all these years of like Puritan rule. Then they put Charles II back on the throne, and basically, it's like just a huge party for decades. <laughs> um, and he just he has so many mistresses. Like you go to the National, like the Portrait Gallery in London, and it's just there's this entire room that's just like mistress, 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 mistress. And one of them is this woman, Nell Gwynn, who's like this brilliant, beautiful, witty actress. Yeah, like, that name definitely rings a bell. Mm -hmm. Pretty witty Nellie Gwynn <laughs> is what Samuel Pepys called her. You know, it's it, it's interesting because there's like this interesting phenomenon where, to some extent, it's that women have this set of cultural scripts put on them because they aren't living conventional lives. And to some extent, it's also that just due to the way that society is structured and where they're coming from, I mean, they are more sort of vulnerable to exploitation and, like, their labor conditions are, you know, are really tough and, like, you know, there's not a lot of protections for them. And, you know, this professor told me that, in fact, Men could, like, pay extra with their ticket to go backstage and hang out and, like, basically get backstage passes <laughs> to where, you know, women were, like, doing the work of being actresses and changing clothes and socializing. And so it's this very complicated set of phenomena that over the years you end up having this very long-running association between, like, actresses and women of the theater and sex. It's really interesting and just sad that what you're saying, like, their class made them vulnerable maybe to these projections and also to these realities. Whereas, you know, upper-class women had chaperones and had all of this stuff. But, mm -hmm. like, either way, it's just their sexuality being policed in a way that is, mm -hmm. like, beyond their control. And mm -hmm. that is gross. <laughs> and being a woman is cool. It's hard and fun. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, the dresses look great, but otherwise being a woman in history is... Yeah, yeah the, cl the clothes it's are garbage. awesome, but <laughs> everything else is shit. So. Basically, it's the whole TLDR on that deal. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> so this were like jumping forward 100 years, mm -hmm. give or take, to basically the studio era of Hollywood, where mm -hmm. studios, basically, um, if you were on a contract with them, they essentially owned you. 
um, Mm -hmm. and that sometimes worked out well in that they would cover up crimes for you if you happen to be a guy. Mm -hmm. And also sometimes that did not work out so well. And one of these cases was really widely publicized actually more recently than it was at the time where a woman, Patricia Douglas, uh, was raped at a party where uh, studio accountants and studio, you know, financiers were kind of invited to just have sex with this row of actresses. And the documentary about her is called Girl 27. They were the whole vocabulary of bad woman, slut, tart, tramp, everything came up immediately if, if anybody mentioned she was raped. All the women had a number and hers was mm-hmm. 27. Mm-hmm. And she's just the one whose rape was publicized eventually. Mm-hmm. You know, n- there's at least... 26 other girls at that party who I'm sure mm-hmm. not all of them were there to, like, have a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of the way the studio system worked, they just sort of had to show up and they were expected to just, like, fuck these old rich dudes because that's what was promised when they came to visit mm-hmm. the studios is, like, you're going to get to mix and mingle mm-hmm. with these hot young things. And, like, just to drop back to sort of, like, the beginning of the stu- of the motion picture industry in Hollywood. And at first, you know, women actually end up in more roles than you might think. They have more power behind the screen initially, like, sort of in the early, early days before the studio system really takes hold, like, in the 20s. And it's interesting because at the sort of same time you have, like, all these young women flooding from the country into the cities and, like, going to work and all these new jobs. They're working at department stores and they're working in offices and they're, you know, they're taking over, like, as secretaries and sort of there's this new move of, like, young women women taking on these new jobs and there's all this cultural anxiety that's happening and then in Hollywood it's a boom town for for women like you know there's all sorts of women and like there's female screenwriters and female you know actresses and costume ladies and you know editors too and, just you know mm-hmm, all these new jobs and what's interesting is you do start to start to see all this concern you know, another professor I spoke to, Hillary Hallett, she said, you, you know, you start to see all this concern about the prospect of all these you know young women trading sex for work and how much of that is sort of it's it's a question how much that was actually happening because a lot of the thing that you know I've really noticed about this is that it's really hard to pin down details because it's sort of just this idea this nebulous oh you know did you hear about so and so so and so didn't do the casting couch so she you know washed out so and so you know oh did you hear so and so did you know but it seems like to me you know sort of the golden age of the term and when sort of you have the system that makes it most likely is the studio system. You know, it concentrates the power in the hands of, like, key men, basically. And, you know, they basically, it really does turn into this system where they can offer you more, but also, you know, they have more power so they can deny you more and, like, they could cover up anything, <laughs> apparently. Right. They, like, literally covered up murders. Yeah, it's like, and the, the Girl 27 thing is a good, that documentary is a good example. It's like, she wasn't going to go quietly. No. But they won in the end. Yeah, they snuffed her out. Yeah. There's also a crazy story that um, you and I, Kelly, have talked about this book, uh, Kenneth Anger's Hollywood Babylon. 
Oh, Hollywood Babylon. There's a story I first read there. And the thing with Hollywood Babylon is that it is very interesting. But Kenneth Anger, who is also a director, very clearly hates women (laughs) so much. Cool. (laughs) And so there's a lot of things in there that you kind of have to take with a grain of salt because he talks. salt mine, probably. Yeah, exactly. Where he says things like, oh, you know, like this actress who was uh, basically portrayed as like a very – very much like the blushing virgin in movies. He's like, she was just a whore fucking everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, and this one who wow. was sort of a vamp, she actually was like an uptight prude. Yeah. But one story he actually gets fairly wrong in his book is the one of Fatty Arbuckle mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that ruined his career pretty much, uh, which is that, again, at another Hollywood party organized by some studio heads, a young woman was killed. So she died, I think, a few days after. But Mm -hmm. the way the story went at first was that after sharing a few drinks with Fatty Arbuckle, who was very much like the comedic star of the century, he was Mm -hmm. a huge fucking deal. So it's like, I think I've heard this analogy before, so I'm like, don't want to just plagiarize someone. But like, say like Will Ferrell was accused of, Mm -hmm. okay, okay, you know, killing somebody. It was like a big deal. The way that her friend, uh, whose name is... uh, Maud Delmont, she was kind of a known Hollywood madam, describes it, is mm-hmm. that after having a few drinks with Fatty Arbuckle, this woman, her name is Virginia Rapp, a young actress, very pretty. After a few drinks with uh, Fatty, <laughs> um, he pulls her into a room. A few minutes later, Maud hears screaming. She pounds on the door to kick it down. It's locked. Finally, Fatty Arbuckle opens it in his pajamas, wearing this young woman, Virginia's hat askew on his head, like looking all goofy while she's on the bed just moaning in agony. Mm -hmm. She's taken to the hospital. Within a week, she has died of a ruptured bladder. And so newspapers loved this story and they just ran with it super hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And the whole thing was that Fatty Arbuckle had basically crushed her with his weight while raping her. Mm. uh, Mm -hmm. And that's what crushed her bladder. What actually happened... Well, and then also the, this woman, uh, Maud, the madam, she talked to anyone who would listen. Mm-hmm. Her story changed a lot. In some, she had just met Virginia. In others, they were really old friends. It was very unreliable, but the newspapers just ate it up. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, when it actually went to court, it was like, basically it took like a five-minute deliberation of the jury where they're like, he has an alibi. None of this checks out. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the rare cases where that's true. Like, mm-hmm. he was not really in the same room as her for the most right. part. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of everything actually seems legit in that mm-hmm. Fatty Arbuckle did not... Like crush this woman this to death. This poor girl. Mm-hmm. By raping uh, her. And- but it ruined his career. He never worked mm-hmm. for the most part again, which, like, sucks for him. Yeah. But you, like, think of the culture that allowed this, like, young girl to go to this party mm-hmm. surrounded by all these strangers... And, like, not be able to, like, get help as she's dying? Mm-hmm. I don't know. The whole thing is just obviously so upsetting. I mean, it's yeah. extreme. It's extremely upsetting. But, I mean, and I would say that the fact that Fatty, Mr. Arbuckle, I don't know. Just calling him Fatty feels rude. Yes. That is technically <laughs> his name. I mean, the fact that he was eventually, his, his, his career was ruined because of this is obviously, like, sad for his career or whatever. But I don't think that that's... Given the more modern cases of bad men in Hollywood being accused of doing terrible things, even if they have or if they haven't done them, 
they continue to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think the difference is that everyone, like, kind of has to get on board with okay. believing something where mm-hmm. it's, like, mm-hmm. with, say, Woody Allen and the accusations surrounding sexual assault and him, mm. it's, like, there are still so many people who are convinced that he didn't do it. You know, mm-hmm. it's, like, that's, true. that's I think, where, like, the wiggle room happens. You do have to scare up enough. Yeah, everyone has to be united on either one. I mean, I think what's interesting about the context of the Fatty Arbuckle thing is, you know, this is what I found when I've sort of been looking into sort of the progression of sort of the idea of this trope. You know, there was just so much, like, cultural concern in the early 20s mm-hmm. about, like, our girls. Like, you yeah. know, there's, like, you see this in so many different ways. You see this in the flappers. You see this in, like, you know, eugenics-type, like, scientific racism. You see it in, like, all these places where sort of this anxiety about, like, what's happening to our girls. Like, you see it. And, you know, I think it played really well to a lot of anxieties for, you know, the newspapers to just be like, oh, you know, basically to be like, look at the Hollywood Babylon. Look at Sodom yeah. and Gomorrah. Like, part of what was happening is that, like, actually, you know, like, women could go out there and make a living. Right. I think if there's one thing that we've learned from the heart, like, the, 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 you know, the stories of the last week, it's that, like, there probably were people moving in the early film industry who were, like, predatory. But, like, I think that that's probably true because that seems to be unfortunate, like, you Universal know. Universal truth. Yeah, Joanna did that article recently that was, like, you know, where can I go to work that's, you know, and it's, like, you know, Antarctica, beekeeping. It's like, you know, right. I mean, not, like I'm not, everything. I'm not making any specific allegations about beekeeping, but like, nope. that's what's interesting about it to me is that we have this trope about Hollywood that there's yeah. the casting couch. And I think that it's this weird concept that does a lot of heavy lifting culturally because it simultaneously acknowledges the potential for sexual abuse. It reframes sexual abuse as a question of like what the woman did. And it also has this sort of power to question the achievements of women to be like, oh, you know, is she a casting couch case? And so it's like, you know, he can offer you favors. You say, but like, how do you, you know, like you're what, like a 19-year-old kid from Kansas? Like, how do you say no to a studio head? You know, it's like, to me, it's it's this, like, really weird, complicated sort of, like, I, I don't know. I think it's a very, like, toxic trope, honestly. Well, and I think you just hit the nail on the head in that it sort of shows how these things feed each other. Where, one, another thing is, like, if you make Hollywood, Sodom and Gomorrah, that absolves you as a small-town person, even mm-hmm. though there are people everywhere who are willing to take advantage of other people, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like... It's not like these girls, like, had no chance of ever being harmed if they just stayed home and, right. you know, acted like good wives, which I'm sure that was being said back then, where it's like, right. if they just learned their boundaries, you know? Like, yeah, you learned like, a lesson by going to try to, like, make something of yourself in Hollywood. Like, this is what you get. But, like, God knows if you, like, picked the wrong husband in your small town in yeah. 1919, mm-hmm. like, who's going to protect you from that? Like, there's not even no marital way. rape laws at this point. Like, yeah, right. you know, that's not even considered. There's all these abuses, and it's just fascinating to me that, like, you have this idea of the casting couch in, like, the 40s and 50s, and it's like, like, it seems to me that, you know, part of what the work that thing is doing is it's implicating women. Yeah, it's like right. you made this choice to go there. Mm-hmm. That's so sad. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. I feel like that attitude then probably did in some weird way empower these studio heads where it's like if like the rest of the world is just like ooh these guys have all the power in the world look what they can do then you're going to start believing that about yourself where 
which is like, yeah, I mean, let's show let's show you Hollywood Babylon. Like, let's mm-hmm. show you how great it is and, right. you know, that mm-hmm. type of thing. So, I mean, honestly, like, you know, what was striking to me is, like, if you had, like, sat down and designed a system to, like, provide cover for abuses, mm-hmm. like, honestly, I think you'd be hard-pressed to design something better than the studio system, which, like, just incredible the amount of power to, like, make or break people mm-hmm. that these yeah. guys had. I mean, and it went beyond sexual harassment. It also went into union busting and it went into mm-hmm. racism and it went into, you know, not that any of those things are exclusive from one another. One another. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because, and I want you to actually get into this because you have the quote from, I believe, the 40s mm-hmm. that is very good. I found this quote from Modern Screen Magazine in 1941. It's sort of about this, you know, report from the Hollywood scene or whatever. It's like, we're going to tell you how Hollywood really is. And it <laughs> deep in the piece, it says, the day of the quote-unquote casting couch, when a girl had to exercise her libido instead of her talent for a job, is almost dead. The much-publicized and traditional Hollywood orgy died that evening when Fatty Arbuckle became involved in the community's most colossal scandal, which meant the end of Virginia rap. Today, Hollywood parties are pretty dull and business-like affairs, where Daryl Zanuck is talking about himself and boring Joe Pasternak would like to talk about himself, and where Jack Benny won't talk at all for fear of losing a gag to Bob Hope and Ken Murray, who are also silent. Now, what's interesting about this quote is that it's from 1941, the case, the party where um, Patricia Douglas was, that was in 1937, so Mm. that was four years ago um, when this was written. And also, Daryl Zanuck is one of the names you kind of hear. And again, it's like, you know, you you don't hear a lot of specific allegations. It is kind of like the way people would talk about, you know, Weinstein in the comments of Laney Gossip or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it is like, he's one of the people who gets named as as like having an active casting couch. And, in fact, like yesterday at the Daily Mail, Joan Collins just did a piece saying that she was warned about him by Marilyn Monroe and that then he, you know, tried it with her. Like, he, like, put the moves on her. So it's like I think what is really interesting about this is you sort of see the casting couch evoked to be like, I remember the crazy old days of Hollywood in the 20s with Fatty Arbuckle and the old Hollywood orgy. That's done today. And it's like it's not at all. And I think that that – it actually is kind of a warning for us because right. it's like, you know, oh, like, whoo, you know, we got that solved. And it's like, it's very easy to, be, to like pen it on a specific person. But I think yeah. that, you know, there's a lot of like widespread evaluating of attitudes that have to happen in order right. to like actually get the job done this time instead of us looking back in 20 years and being like, well, thank God that's done. You know, it's well, like the Xanax are still a really powerful family in film. Like they still are really like living off those riches. <laughs> So what other things did you find in your reporting? I think there's also, like, a fetish dimension to the way we talk about the casting couch. Oh, definitely. 100%. Like, like the first instance I found of the term was this, like, 1924 stag film, which is, like, early softcore pornography called The Casting Couch. Mm. And another thing I came across was there was this, um, you know, 1963 article from the, like, kind of, like, down market Playboy competitor called Jim and it was like, you know, this article that's like a new look at the old casting couch. And it's, you know, a picture of a naked of a woman's butt, mm, you know, yeah. a naked woman's butt. And it's <laughs> like, and I think that it does also kind of become this like lascivious joke thing that's like, yeah. oh, the old, you know, the you know, the old casting couch. Like it's kind of has this like lecherous air, yeah. the whole idea, which is also like gross on its on a whole additional level. Yeah. I very, mean, very much like these like pretty but desperate young women who are willing to do anything with these disgusting Mm -hmm. ghouls who are just like so rich and powerful Mm -hmm. that they can it's like Jabba the Hutt and Princess Leia where it's Mm -hmm. like they can make you dance for them 
but you know. And I get the impression that it's like a like a porn trope, like even now. I think like, it still is. That's what I was gonna is what the porn that I was thinking of. This is terrible. I don't even Bang Bus is kind of like Yeah. Right? Oh, it's right. kind yeah. of like a casting ga- yeah. It's kind of playing off of that trope. And if I'm correct me, anyone who's listening, please correct me if I'm wrong. Bang bus, it's like it's like there's a bus, the bang bus, right? Yes. And there's women, like younger porn stars who come onto this thing as if they were, like, strangers. And then they fuck the dudes that are on the bus. Oftentimes they, like, will pick up somebody. They'll pick up, like, someone else. They'll pick up, like, one, and they'll pick up another. Yeah. And then they'll fuck on the bus. Yes. For, like, the idea of, like, some sort of, that this perhaps, I mean, part of that is, like, the like the perceived anonymity of, like, those yeah. people being strangers, but it's also, like, a weird sort of, like, fuck your way to fame. Yeah, like, do you think she'll make it in the... It's in the real porn industry. Yeah. It's another gross thing that I thought about, but I'm pretty sure that the casting couch in some iteration is still around in in porn. And in life. Bus. And in life. Yeah. People are still people are still being asked to like suck a dick for a job. So ladies, if you wanna <laughs> if you wanna suck someone's dick, you can. I do not judge <clears throat> you. Nope. You can I mean, I might judge like your choice in man but i don't judge the dick sucking or yeah the the exactly the action i have no yeah. judge if no this judgment. is fun for you and you want to go for it please yes great if you don't really want to do it but you feel like you have to i'm sorry <laughs> so yeah, yeah I, I, you there are systems <laughs> yeah. out there so <laughs> tips at jezebel.com tips at jezebel.com um we would love to tell your yeah. story i'd love to hear it. yep mm-hmm. um yep. but also we would like to Extend Live in a world where you feel empowered enough not to do that yeah. because you're a talented person. Set the casting couch on fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's worth pointing out, too, that this is not to say that, like, actresses are lucky, but in that, like, being in the public eye, there is way more of a platform for people to listen and sympathize with these women who are coming forward, as they should be listened to and sympathized with. Mm-hmm. But as you were saying, where it was, like, easy to pin all this shit on Hollywood, mm-hmm. it happens everywhere Mm -hmm. so it's very much like oh look at you know these capitalists and their you know Mm -hmm. fucking hollywood hills right pieces of shit yeah but it's just like every industry has this in us to a certain extent every Mm -hmm. single one as you said like beekeeping (laughs) antarctica yeah um the industry of antarctica the the antarctica industry yeah you know ice mining um (laughs) penguins all of these play all of these industries have it but the people who come forward don't have nearly anything close to the mouthpieces that these public figures have. And so it's interesting, one, that actresses have kind of always been associated with being prostitutes Mm -hmm. or being sex workers. Mm -hmm. And then also that this is pervasive and is everywhere. And that's not necessarily true for secretaries, but there are definitely tropes about secretaries and that Mm -hmm. type of thing where just like women can't catch a fucking break. Really cannot, apparently. Yeah. Except for in media. (laughs) Yeah, we're doing fine. We're doing just great. (laughs) Kelly takes a gulp of water. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. Thank you so much for listening to Dirtcast, and thank you to Kelly Faircloth. Our show is produced by Levi Sharp with editorial oversight by Kate Dries. Monana Mofidi is our executive director of audio. Our theme music is by Stuart Wood. This episode was mixed by Jamie Colazzo. 
want to send us a tip or just let us know what you think, hit us up at dirtcast at Jezebel.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts.